Hello and welcome to the Hockey Assist, a basketball podcast. Basketball fans deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here, as always, is my co-host Riley Gaucher. What up, Mr. Cope? I am so glad to be back. How are you? It's good to be back, man. It's uh last week. We, we, we took a week off. We did. We did. We're, we're very sorry to our loyal listeners to uh, have deprived you of, of the, the sounds of our argumentation and, and navel gazing. Um, but we are, we are returned. And I actually, I want to ask you, Nolan, um, something going on in your life was the reason that we weren't able to, to record a podcast. Do you want to, do you want to talk about it and explain to the people kind of what's going on and, and put on a little bit of your, your teacher hat and historian hat for a second. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Nolan is currently uh, teaching students in Myanmar, but has been doing so remotely um, due to the pandemic. And Nolan, do you want to kind of explain what's, what's going on there right now? Yeah. So last week, uh, Sunday night, United States time, Monday morning, Myanmar time. Uh, the, in the early morning, the military of the country rose up in a coup and prevented the newly elected government from being sworn in and taking office. Now, military coups are normally a pretty surprising thing when they happen, but Myanmar has a long history of military rule. Uh, in 1962, the military rose up against uh, a Republican government that had been set up after World War II. And that military government ruled the country all the way until 2015. In uh, 1988, they brutally repressed some... Uh, I know I'm going into a little bit of a history lesson here, but in 1988, the military government brutally suppressed some protests uh, by students asking for democracy. Similar protests happened again in 2008, which encouraged the military government to allow some democracy back into the country. Now the democracy came with a catch, The military was always involved. And after the military-backed party lost two consecutive elections in 2015, and then last year in 2020, they decided that enough was enough and wanted to take control again. Now, obviously, that was a lot for my students, a lot for the teachers at my school who are in the country, and a lot for me here in California. So my brain space was elsewhere last week and I was unfortunately unable to uh, put together the time for the podcast, which is why I am so happy to be back, Riley. 
Yeah, I am. I'm. I'm really sorry that you and and everyone there has had to go through this, but uh, glad to have you back with us and excited to talk about basketball. If there's nothing else you want to add, you know, uh, on that subject. Uh, well, as of right now, everyone who I know over there is is safe, and the protests have remained uh, mostly peaceful. And I I pray that that continues. Great. Um, in the, in the meantime, while we were away, uh, so much has happened around the league. And I, I think the place that we want to start um, in our in our shoot-around segment to, to briefly jump uh, around the league is with the All-Star game, or the lack thereof, um, depending on, on what is finally agreed to. It, it sounds like that the, the league office is really pushing um, for an All-Star game to happen in Atlanta this year. Um, Obviously, that that is a little bit controversial with um, the pandemic and the COVID protocols for the league being uh, such a contentious topic. And, and then also just the state of Atlanta, Georgia being, um, I'm not there, but everything I've heard is, is almost an entirely open um, city in terms of food and uh, establishments and uh, strip clubs, uh, which is relevant because uh, certain certain all-stars, such as a James Harden and Kawhi Leonard, um, have been known to frequent those set establishments. Um, and so there was a lot of pushback, too, from the biggest biggest stars in the game, LeBron James, most notably saying that he had almost no energy or enthusiasm to go and, and play an all-star game this season. And it's very interesting because Chris Paul, being the, the Players Association um, president, really seems to be one of the few players who has, has been pushing for this. Uh, you know, there was, there was an agreement from the players association, I believe to have this go ahead. And so Nolan, first off, like, what do you think of this situation? Do you think there should be an all-star game? Um, what do you, what do you buy in terms of arguments from the league and whatnot? You know, of course, I don't think there should be an all-star game. Uh, the the net positive coming out of this for the players and for the league is not high, right? There was supposed to be this week already uh, in the schedule where players had a chance to travel and recuperate with their families, which was much needed in a shortened off season for many teams. And I... The league, the league has made a lot of a lot of statements and is releasing something new every day, and it's a money grab. It it is the NBA reminding us yet again that uh, the people in charge of the league consider it a business first, and the business decision, the correct business decision, is to squeeze as much money out of their product as they can. Now the problem is that their product is reliant on people. And those people do not want to do this. Those people are pushing back against this. So there's absolutely no problem with naming all-stars and then not having a game be played and giving the players a break in this shortened season with a shortened off-season for many. But the the league is, is clearly moving forward with the financials ahead of everything else. Yeah, and I think it would be one thing if the COVID protocols um, had been going swimmingly and also had had good optics, you know, um, to, to, to look at this entirely dispassionately, because I think you made some great points about this 
this being a business that relies on people and, and you know, I, I don't want to just hammer that home um, over and over again. Um, and so I think from the league's perspective, right, like it would be one thing if, if they had really figured out how to keep uh, COVID infection rates or, or games missed um, due to contact tracing or postponements really at a, at a minimum. Um, but so far, we really have not seen that. And there have been far too many high profile cases of of weirdness, uh, most notably with Kevin Durant recently being allowed to check into a game and then having to come out, um, not because of his own personal testing, um, but because of, of a contact tracing issue with a league employee, uh, team employee, excuse me. And so it, it just, it really feels like if they can't get the regular season right, how are they gonna, you know, protect basically the, the, the players who are most important to driving league revenue which is their all-stars and and the point's been made online that these guys come from teams all over the league and so uh, you know vectors like disease vectors right like that's a great way to get a bunch of people spending time together in a city that's not very restrictive and, and potentially affecting you know more than just one team or two teams that have played each other right? it's there hasn't been a ton of um, transmission as far as I know, like in games, that's not why players are missing time. It's really, you know, among the team or among employees or something from home causing, causing guys to miss. And so I think that that's, that's really a problem. Um, I, I do, like you said, I do understand the money situation and obviously like the league health is somewhat directly beneficial to the players, right? Like the more money that the league makes, the higher the cap is next year, the more free agents get paid. It's all right. Like it all, it all ties together, but I do think you're right. I think it's, it's, it's dumb under current situation and it would be one thing if they got stuff figured out, but right now it feels like the league just does not. So I'm fully with you remains to be seen what will happen. I sort of sounded like all these players would go, but at the force of a gun, basically, I think it'll be interesting because there's been a lot of talk about how, Adam Silver does not have a, a David Stern bone in his body. He he wants to be too friendly with the players. It's a criticism I've seen. And, you know, I think in some ways it, it has helped the league a lot and in some ways it hurt the league a lot. And so I think this will be a really interesting test of, you know, does he finally put his foot down and, and prioritize the, the money and the owner's interests? And is that actually beneficial to the league in the long run? Who knows? Remains to be seen. Yeah, I can only hope for... A, a safe all-star day. It's not even like a weekend anymore. I can only hope for that and hope that the league's best and brightest stars all don't go home with something affecting yeah. the playoff race, affecting the certain teams in the standings versus others. And the potential ramifications could, negative ramifications could be huge. So I hope that Adam Silver enjoys the the extra millions of dollars that he makes and that it doesn't come back to bite him in the butt in some way. Sure. And I, one last thing I just thought about was that uh, hopefully there'll be fewer fewer of everything in, in this All-Star, right? Like there's going to be, I'd imagine there's not going to be an All-Star Saturday night, right? With like three-point contest or whatever, right? So maybe that that helps reduce the impact of this but but you're right it it's dangerous and and probably a bad idea my my question for the play for the players is what's in it for the players you know normally 
like competing for all-star game MVPs can be something for like legacy and whatnot, but you play in front of an absolutely sold out stadium with celebrities and league legends everywhere. And they're going to be in a largely empty stadium. So where does the hype come from? It's just, at this point, it's just a pickup game that they're being forced to play without any of the, any of the grand events that normally go along with it. So hopefully, hopefully they have fun. Hopefully they stay safe. Now, someone who won't be elected to one of these all-star teams for a multitude of reasons, but someone who I don't think his effect could possibly be understated on his team is your very own Draymond Green. And I know that I am fueling the Warriors fire here. So apologies to those of you who, who, who can't bear it, but Draymond. Hey, hey, it's, it's not my fault. They're an extremely relevant and popular team. Like what, what can I do? I do have to say for the record that talking about Draymond's all-star candidacy or, or lack thereof was not my idea. So please direct all, all uh, passionate responses at one Nolan Cope. The dude is impressive. The dude is impressive to watch on the basketball court. Now, he did have quite a confusing half-court shot just the other night. Last night, last night, yeah. If you you take that aside, watching the dude play as the Warriors' only big man as the point center for a few days – and even before that, watching the difference in the team when he's there compared to when he wasn't and what he and Steph can do at the same time. Riley, tell, tell us why Draymond is still deserving of an all-star. Sure. Um, I mean, I think for me, it's like if someone out there doesn't understand that Draymond is insanely good at basketball and, and him being insanely good at basketball is insanely valuable – that's when I just stopped taking their basketball opinions seriously, right? It's like the, the criticism of, of him has kind of become a meme at this point, right? Like a triple single, oh, he doesn't average stats. But um, I, saw, I saw a statistic recently that it was talking about, you know, how much of a basketball game comes down to shots and how much of it is everything else, right? So if you, if you think about 48 minutes and you think uh, there's maybe like 100 shots in there, but those shots are in the air or being blocked, um, or being missed and, and rebounded, or sorry, not even rebounded, just being being shot and made a shot and missed. Like that is such a tiny fraction of the game. Yes, it, it is what ends up on the scoreboard, but it, it comes down to a couple minutes of playing time, right? And so the whole rest of the game is things that are happening that aren't directly the basket goes in or not, right? They're, they're about positioning, they're about rebounding, they're about passing, they're about all these other things. And I think with with Draymond, what what gets lost if you're really not paying attention and you're you're coming into looking at him with uh, a lot of a lot of prejudged assumption is you you don't realize how damn smart he is. You know, I it's been said a lot, but I think he's top three smartest basketball players I've ever seen, and and that you know obviously my my uh, basketball basketball watching him timeline is a little bit limited but you know like he he just he knows the game and reads the game at a faster pace than anyone ever that i've that i've watched personally um and and that 
anticipation, that understanding of everyone's strengths and weaknesses, that understanding of how to, to maximize his impact combined with a guy that everyone looks at and says is not athletic, but I think that's when we also, you know, start to assume that athleticism is, you know, jumping and running speed and it's not how wet you are on your feet. It's not how well you move your hands and your legs and, and how well you react and how you anticipate and how quick you are um, and how, uh, you know, to, sh to shout out Marvin Bagley, how fast your second jump is um, and all this stuff. And so I think those are places where he is, he is truly elite. Um, and it just, you know, he looks a little round and he doesn't look that tall, but he's incredibly strong and he, he defends huge, huge players better than anyone else in the league. Like Anthony Davis, I'm not sure I would pick anyone in the league to defend Anthony Davis over Draymond Green because historically his wingspan and his knowledge and his just refusal to be bullied allows him to shut AD down relative to, to any of the defender. So I know that was a very long and gushing um, rant, but I, I truly think that the Warriors of the last couple of years do not reach the heights that they do without someone who has such a unique ability to play defense and pass the ball on the offensive end. Yeah. Something a lot of people don't want to acknowledge or don't want to think about is that what makes Nikola Jokic an MVP candidate right now is he is one of the most talented scorers in the game, which is something he has over Draymond. But the types of passes and the types of high IQ plays and understanding of his teammates that Jokic has been doing for the last two or three years that the internet adores has been what Draymond has been doing for twice as long. Right? So even though like the internet's favorite guy is Jokic because he's a seven foot tall, dramatically overweight white dude who looks really funny while playing basketball. Draymond's been doing the same stuff. So if you want to appreciate Jokic for his, uh, for being a basketball savant, you also have to admit to yourself that Draymond is a guy who does a lot of the same things. Sure. And I, I mean, I think the one, the one difference is Jokic had a little bit more flair um uh but but you know any analysis i've seen like puts draymond right up there as a passer with with lebron and Jokic in terms of of vision and court mapping and all this stuff so it's it's cool that this season has has seen him return to form a little bit maybe not as as a scoring threat but that ship probably sailed five years ago and him shooting 38 percent one year was a, an entirely anomalous occurrence that we'll we'll never see again um but the the cool thing is it doesn't doesn't really matter because he's still able even with the limitations he has about shooting or finishing he still has the ability to impact the game and, and dominate well while we're talking about draymond and and Jokic and whatnot i think we should uh spend a take a quick minute to talk about the western conference as a whole because the western conference is such a muddled fucking mess right now riley yeah that don't you don't have to tell me it 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 it, it, it kind of blows me away looking at the standings as i as i was trying to put together some th some things to talk about and an understanding for this episode like i always do i check the standings and look at uh, some of the breakdowns that these teams have been playing over the last week just to see you know, like what the common trends in the league are. And the common trend in the Western Conference is chaos, right? <laughs> yeah. Every team besides the Timberwolves 
is either in the playoffs or two games back from the playoffs. Meaning what separates the uh, four seed from the 14th seed is a quick winning streak. Yep. What, if anything, from these standings can we believe in, Riley? What, 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 what do you see when you look at these sort of standings? Yeah, um, I think the most notable thing to me is that just like the league has changed in, in that the stalwarts of, I'd say, the last five or six years, right? Like the Grizzlies, the Rockets, the Mavs, to some extent, you know, at the tail, the tail end of Dirk's, Dirk's career. And then, you know, with Luca last year, those are teams that were like we counted on being middle to upper upper tier in the Western Conference and that their cycles have, have totally turned over. And that's, that's, you know, it's not, not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, it's just interesting. Um, I, I think it's an a testament to see some of these teams like the Suns um, in, in the upper echelon and um, uh, whatnot, you know, the trailblazers, even with a lot of injury luck is the testament to, to individuals who are just really good at basketball to affect their teams. You know, Chris Paul and, and Dame Willard continue to just be themselves and, be incredibly reliable and, and assure winning at least to some, some degree. Um, I mean, I think it's also, it's the chaos is cool in the sense that it it means that this, hopefully the season retains interest, you know, deeper into the year um, than, than we've seen in the past. We kind of already knew, I think that the the Lakers and the Clippers were going to be up there, but even to the jazz, right? Like have this incredible winning streak and, and, period of, of winning and, and be the, the number one team I saw on a ton of power rankings this week. It just is really, really cool to see that, you know, the Western Conference has been lauded for its depth and, and the competitiveness for a long time. And now we're truly seeing how that can play out in fun, fun ways. Yeah. And what, what stands out to me is the pundits, the, the media, the people who want to talk about these, these sort of things, or I don't know if it's the, the shortened season or if it's an increase in parody or whatever it is, but no one got anything right in their predictions, <laughs> right? Besides having the Lakers and the Clippers in their top three, I don't think there's a single other person who would have predicted the Suns to have uh, the excellence that they've, they've had this year. Uh, that the Spurs and the Kings are currently in playoff spots. We've got vintage DeMar DeRozan performances. He's shooting some threes. We've got De'Aaron Fox, who, when he made his comments about the All-Star game last week, everyone was like, oh, De'Aaron Fox, he probably won't even be there. And since then, has absolutely eviscerated the Western Conference and a few Eastern Conference teams as well. So we just don't know. The Nuggets consensus like maybe the third best team in the western conference are currently the eighth seed the warriors are have been in and out of the playoff uh picture the entire season it's crazy yeah i i think i do i do tend to to think that most pundits will will be a little bit more correct as the season goes on um and i i do attribute some of this to covid right like it's it's hard to predict who's going to get the the virus or who's going to be missing games or who's going to have played drastically fewer games. Um, That's much more relevant in in like the wizard's case or whatnot, but 
yeah, I, I think it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how it changes because I'm not convinced that this is the final standings. You know, I fully expect the Warriors and the Nuggets to to rise up to like the four or five level, and um, and I, I would think that the the Pelicans have a decent chance to you know edge in there at the bottom. But if they trade their pieces and the Rockets, you know, have been playing better without Harden. Now that they've got a little bit more cohesion um, and, and stronger team identity, it's it's all um, it's all up for grabs, and it it really just is surprising. And it's fun to not necessarily have an idea of how it's going to shake out. Yeah, and like like you said, we this may not be the the final Western Conference standings, but like you said, the the Pelicans uh, have been playing a lot better basketball lately. The Warriors still have one of the best three players in the league on their team. The Grizzlies are on a four-game losing streak, but before that, we're on a six-game winning streak. And, I, man, I, I'm in love with the Grizzlies. we got to save that for another time when I've got a little bit more time on my hands. But the Mavericks have supposedly one of the top ten best players in the NBA on their team. So – we could, we could see some upwards movement, some downwards movement, but at a at a certain time, some of these 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 trends are going to stick, and I don't know yeah. when they are, or when that is, or if it'll go on to, right until the the last game of the season for eight or nine teams, and whether they'll be in the playoffs. Sure, there's there's two more teams I do want to mention. Um, I think we basically run through everyone, but uh, the only thing that has been certain so far this year is that the Timberwolves are. Are straight garbage um and that could even change too because d'angelo russell and carl anthony towns have barely ever played together and so if you know if cat uh, eventually is able to come back um from covid and uh the, the family tragedy and whatnot that he's been dealing with this year if if he's able to to start impacting winning a little bit more than um than his his running mate and and drag them from the very bottom of the conference where the thunder we all expected right to see them uh, full tank but they've they've got al horford they've got shea gilders alexander they've got lou dort right they've got some competent players and you know they're they're way closer to 500 than i would have ever expected so uh, at the start of the season um i think there was a legitimate chance that every single one of these teams could make the playoffs and that's only proved more more true maybe with the exception of the t-wolves so far which is just mind-blowing what a what a conference what a what a ride basketball is a beautiful game man and we will both stand by that uh for a very long time but it is now time to get into our minutia minute so riley uh Put on your your cowboy hat and your boots and, and take us down to Texas. Sure. Um, as as you all can probably tell by now, my minutia minute is usually dictated by which teams the Warriors um, were playing this week, and I was able to watch the Spurs for the last two games. And I just want to shout out Coach Pop, looking like either a vampire or the baddest mafia boss of all time with his white flow um, and his propensity to yell at everyone and anyone in his vicinity. Um, I, I think it's just really cool that he's still coaching, that he's got a team, you know, everyone talked about, oh, is his magic done? Is his pop's ability to influence everything over? And he just keeps right on trucking. And, and I, I just noticed on the broadcast tonight, like 
wow, he he looks he looks crazy, very Pat Riley vibes, and I, I thought it was a good look for him, you know. Um, also, I just wanted to compliment the Spurs broadcast as being very very even and um, complimentary of opposing teams. That's something that you know really. Excuse me. That's that's one minute. I'll I'll go for thirty more seconds. Um, really really have a hard time that like the worst broadcast right they they especially the warriors broadcast have a hard time realizing that it could just be that the other guys are good right like that their opponents are good and and they have players who are good and so it was it was cool to hear the spurs broadcasters do a nice job of of complimenting both sides of understanding you know that basketball is a game that we should celebrate as opposed to complain about um and also just have a really a nice understated style. So it was it was a joy to listen to them for the last two games and and I look forward to doing that a little bit more. Well done, sir. Speaking of teams in Texas that have played the Warriors lately, one of the biggest disappointments of this NBA season as we're nearing the halfway point has been the Dallas Mavericks. Widely thought by many, including myself, to be title contenders this year, they've done most of what they can to prove people like me wrong. Uh, Riley and I were shooting texts back and forth after uh, after the Mavericks lost quite handily to the Warriors. And a lot of those texts were, were centered around, man, Porzingis, is playing like a total bum. And I don't, I don't want to be some one of those radio hosts that's, oh, this guy's playing like a bum. But he's being play, paid a max contract. And he's being expected to be a max contract type player. And the dude is seven foot three and played against a Warriors team where the tallest eligible player was six foot seven. Porzingis, with his resume, with his acumen, with what people expect of him, right, should have absolutely feasted. That dude needed to go for 40. He needed to be the the point of attack in the middle of the floor for the Mavericks. And he was invisible in that game. He was absolutely invisible. So that was was the first thing that really got us talking about, about these Mavericks. But... There was someone else also talking about the Mavericks after that game. Someone else a lot more famous than you or I, Riley, who uh, was disappointed with the style of play of the Mavericks that night, and especially the lack of uh, Porzingis stepping up and being a star. And that man was Charles Barkley, right? And Old Chuck. You love him Chuck. or you hate him. So, But – you cannot deny the talent for saying just exactly what he's feeling. Yes. And so the, the common theme with Chuck and with Shaq and the inside the NBA guys who we railed at uh, uh, for last week, the common theme for them over the last few years has been that the NBA is headed in the wrong direction. And this was something that Chuck really put a put, sort of put an exclamation mark on after that Mavericks Warriors game where he said, and I'm going to read this quote out loud. I'm going to be the old man. Get off my lawn. Y'all sit there and watch this stupid ass basketball. 
just jacked up threes all night. They go in, we win. They miss, they lose. Give me a break, you dumbasses. <laughs> right, Lee? Yeah. What, 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 what should we think about, about Chuck really staking his claim, planting his flag on the fact sure. that basketball in the modern NBA is stupid-ass basketball? <laughs> um, I mean, I think the first thing that I want to set aside for the moment is, is just the, the nature of like basketball criticism, um, which I guess is almost what I would call it, right? Like, I don't think the ESPN or sorry. Yeah, actually ESPN or, or the guys on inside the NBA do a lot of basketball analysis. It's basketball criticism, right? It's, it's very opinion heavy. It's very, you know, this is how this makes me feel as opposed to, you know, this is, you know, strategy or this is trends or whatnot. Um, and so I, I, I want to talk the, between the two of us someday about, you know, does the NBA need more cheerleaders? Do they need more people in the media like the NFL who just, you know, sing the praises of the game and, and celebrate things as opposed to criticize? But that being said, um, I think I think Chuck really kind of hit on something and I, it revealed something interesting to me because you know, you can take this very service level, right? And think, oh, he just doesn't get it. He's, you know, married, he's wedded to this take that he made uh, six years ago, basically, when he said the Warriors and a jump shooting team, quote unquote, would never win a championship, right? He just, he's, he, he's tied to this idea of like, he was a post player. And so therefore, that's the best way to win. But I don't, I don't think that's entirely true. And, and what I said to Nolan, and what, what really sticks out to me about this quote, is the part where he's talking about when the threes go in, we win. And when the threes go out, we lose. And I think that's a really, that's actually a profound uh, observation. And it's, it's a revealing thing about Chuck. And I think, you know, to start with Chuck, I think to me, his frustration is not really with the style. It's with the fact that he, as an analyst and he's an observer of basketball, doesn't know what to make of this anymore. And he, he can't really predict what's going to happen because there's so much variance in the modern game. The, the, the three, just by the, the nature of how much more it's worth than two um, and how good people have gotten at making it, right? And how many of these shots are they're taking and how much people's percentages change within games. It really means that like any, any given night, right? Any team can beat any other. There's, there's much less certainty in the game and that makes it harder for, for coaches. That makes it harder for analysts to really influence and understand what's happening or, or be correct because there's just there's no there's no predicting like who's going to feel hot what role player is going to feel hot in any given night and so I think this was to me this quote at least in Chuck's cases is more about his and any of us our our inability to to you know decide what's going to happen in in a bas individual basketball playing not yeah not in the big sample right the, the best teams still win and, and those are easy enough to see but like on any given night like it's hard for analysts to go I think this is going to happen or I think this team should play a different way because it really just comes down to who hits their threes and teams like the Rockets and teams like the Bucks whatnot have started to figure this out right like it's just about getting up threes and if they go in you win and if you go in the lose and I, I sort of agree with Chuck I think there is something a little bit sad that this is the the state of the game so that kind of begs our main main question for tonight is is the state of basketball is that a good thing right is is 
is it in a good place? Um, is there a valid criticism to be had? And, and I'm not sure. I'd love to get your, get your response to all that. It's such a fascinating question. I'm so excited to have this conversation. So you mentioned the Bucks and the Rockets. And this whole conversation started with our discussion on the Mavericks and whether this is good for the state of the game. Is the state of basketball in a good place? And I think, and that answer it will be an emphatic. It depends. Which is <laughs> such a chicken. I like that. Answer. I like that. But it depends on your definition of success. Okay, because through the high attempts of three-point shooting combined with a high percentage of three-point shooting uh, leads to great regular season success. The Rockets of the last five years have been pioneers of this. The Bucks of the last three years have been pioneers of this. But the Bucks have been crushed in two straight playoff appearances. The Rockets, when they were at their best in the James Harden era, lost to the Warriors because they missed 27 straight threes, right? So if your goal is regular season success, then this three-point game is what you want. And if you your goal is championship success, I don't know if it's what you want, right? We can go sure, back so to every champion, every NBA champion, of the last 20 years, except for the Detroit Pistons. And that team has had a transcendent superstar able to score points nearly automatically from the mid range. That yeah, and I think, I think it's a, it's a great distinction to draw because when I'm talking about, um, you know, three points shots and variance, there's, there's a really big difference to me between a Steph Curry, a Klay Thompson, a Kevin Durant, or even a LeBron James, who isn't as great of a three-point shooter, but really can be relied on to hit them in, in big moments sometimes. Um, and I think that's the thing that separates stars from role players, right? Is that stars have a much stronger ability to control whether their three-pointers go in, right? Like I, I know what I'm going to get when it's uh, even a, you know, uh, Kawhi Leonard taking a three or um, a Steph Curry or whatever, right? Like those players have shown the ability, you know, to, to, to be, uh, I guess, to, to control how hot they are uh, in some kind of backwards. Sense. I don't know if this is, this is making any sense to you, but to me, it's, it's different because when you have role players, right? Like a Kelly Oubre, let's say has started this year on one of the most abysmal cold shooting slumps that I've ever seen, right? One for 28 from three, and then he's shooting 60% from three for his last uh, three or four games. And so to me, it kind of gets to this idea that like role players taking threes, they, they are just kind of at the mercy of luck, right? Like one night they're going to be killing it. Their mechanics are going to be locked in and it's just going to, things are going to go really well. And one night they're not going to be locked in and that's going to, you know, really cost their team. And it's the stars that, that remain a little bit more consistent and a little bit more, predictable and projectable, which I think that is, is not what Chuck's talking about, right? Like as much as we want to you know, get on Porzingis for, 
for taking threes. And, and that's certainly a conversation to be had is like, what's the best use of him as a seven, three person. And is he really a shooting guard now? Like, is that really what his role is? Um, I, I think it's, it's really to me fascinating that the game is starting to be shifted a lot more by like how hot some random, you know, Joe Schlow, like Jay Crowder, right. I mean, he's a really good player, but him being absurdly hot in the bubble carried the heat in a couple of instances. And, and you know, now he jacks up nine, 10, three attempts um, a night in, in Phoenix. And when teams play him and he's hot, the Suns win. And when teams play them and he's cold, the Suns kind of lose. And it just feels to me like there's less ability for anyone to really on a very small sample size basis, like control what's going to happen in basketball. And that's, that's a little frustrating, I guess, from my personal point of view. So to me, it's, it sounds like you are leaning towards uh, Chuck calling this this stupid-ass basketball. You're leaning towards that being a little bit more correct, or is that not true? Oh, no, no that's true. No, I, I, I do – I sympathize with him a little bit um, because I think it, it, it just means, especially like you were saying, regular season, right? when, when there's not a lot of game planning, right. When, when people can feel pretty loose and um, there's always been variance in the game, but I think uh, here's, here's another kind of change that we've seen too, right. As three point attempts have gone up and people have gotten very smart with analytics about, you know, long twos are dumb. Uh, Kirk Goldsberry as a writer for ESPN has kind of pointed out that there is almost no diversity in the shot profiles of teams anymore. And, you know, this is purely an aesthetic thing, right? Like, it's not about strategy. It's not about, um, you know, whether teams are, like, maximizing their winning, which is they are. They are and they're, that's good, right? Like, that's how, you know, how teams should play, at least in my opinion, is you go and you, you look at the rules and you figure out what the data tells you is the best way to play. To me, the sad part is, you know, the, the baseline jumper, the, uh, the mid-range, the floater, these things that I think provide purely aesthetic diversity and, and interest to me in watching the game are, are disappearing because it, the math doesn't, doesn't add up. And so I don't know how you, how you fix that. Or even if it's, if it's a good goal to like, to seek diversity in, in shot profiles and have different teams with different styles, right? Like I'm, I'm not saying, Oh, bring back the big man because that's like the purest form of basketball or whatever. It's just, I, I do get a little sad when, drive and kick and, and shooters from the corners. Like that is the go-to play in the NBA nowadays. How do you feel? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to watch like the players get so the, and the teams, the strategies get so bogged down in the numbers, right? The numbers tell you that this is the way you should do it now they, they absolutely need to be a part of the game they the, with the way with how good analytics are these days it's impossible to be successful and not consider the analytics that's why those pound the ball into the ground centers aren't really present anymore you know like guys that uh were moderately effective and are no longer moderately effective, right? But like, I think that like I I think that's hard. I think I think it's hard to, like you said, 
bounce around with like that one type bounce around the league. I mean, with that one type of offense being everywhere and everywhere it's for, for me, I'm, I, I'm not as necessarily married to the aesthetic complaint. I'm not necessarily married to the team strategy complaint. For me, what was always important in sports is putting your team in the best position to win. And something that is the same thing over and over and over and over again is not the best thing to win basketball games. I don't think it is. Right. And, and so like adding more three pointers. Yes. Good. Adding other things to the game, having that, that shot diversity is also good. You, you, you can't have defenses knowing exactly where you're going to be exactly what you're going to do like the bucks or the rockets so that you throw double teams at Harden, you build a wall in front of Giannis and you stifle those offenses, you know, having a bit of that variance is, is what it takes to win. You know, you look back at all the last NBA champions, right? The Lakers with LeBron, the Warriors with Steph and KD, right? The Raptors with Kawhi, the, uh, the Spurs with Duncan, the Heat with LeBron, D Wade, like Kobe. All of these guys are, have won the majority of the championships of the last 20 years. And none of them relied on three pointers as the only way to score points, as the only way to manipulate the floor and win basketball games. So that, sim- that simplistic style isn't the best for success. But I don't know if that's the question we're really asking ourselves. The question we're really asking ourselves is what is the state of the game? Because not every team has a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant or a Kobe Bryant or a Dwayne Wade. Not every team has those. So should they go to a numbers-based offense if a team is lacking a top five player in the league? Is that their best strategy or – I don't know. Do you have an answer? I, I don't. I don't. Um, you know, the thing that, that I'm thinking about, too, is that if we're talking, you know, just state of the game, I, I want the record to, to show that I appreciate up-tempo, right? Like, I appreciate ball movement. I appreciate the creativity and the space and the pace that that, that comes with shooting and three-pointers, right? Like, I think it it's allowed players like a, a Giannis or a Zion Williamson to – start to do things um, not just in transition, but as you know, like ball handlers and as, as uh, creative offensive players in the half court, right. It's like allowing that to happen. And I love that. And I will enjoy watching that. Um, and it's ironic because, you know, like Steph Curry being the poster boy of the three point revolution. Um, he's not a one dimensional player, right? Like people like to say that, that he is, but you know, he's got a really strong floater game. He's got a, an ability to finish at the basket. And so I, I'm torn because I think a lot of the time, like the, the criticism of this, you know, like current era ties all these things together. And I think they're separate, right? I think playing at a greater pace than the the, the slowness of the, the nine, uh, late nineties and the early two thousands and, you know, removing hand checking has as much as I, I feel sad for the, the way that offense, you know, really kind of runs the league. It's really exciting. It's way more exciting to watch a shootout happen than, 
you know, a really, really terrible, you know, nobody can hit anything like 95 to 99 game that goes down to the wire or something like that, right? Like, and so I, I, I understand some people who, who would find my kind of take on my fandom of the Warriors and, and all that be a little hypocritical. Um, and to that, I guess I just say I'm, I'm kind of a, a sentimentalist and a little bit of a traditionalist and that applies to other sports that I love. You know, I, as much as bunting in baseball has been proven to be a dumb kind of addition and, and it's not as exciting as home runs, I, I find myself as, as maybe, you know, trying to be a little hipster and, and thinking that uh, I miss that to some degree. You know, I miss the ideas of, of small ball in baseball or, or uh, you know, other, other, other kind of structural changes that analytics all over the world have proved to not be as effective. And, and maybe that's just me being tied to, you know, the, the kinds of the way that the games were played when, when I first picked them up, you know, I'm not sure we were on, like go down the, the psychoanalyst kind of, of uh, direction, but I, I do think that to me, it's, the game is in a great, you know, place, but it's also, it is losing something. And then the question really is, you know, how are those two things balanced and, and how will things continue to, you know, go in one direction or will they, they come back to a place of equilibrium? Yeah. Some people, many people uh, would argue. And like, I, I came down pretty hard on the three point revolution just now. And I want to I want to restate my my statement a little bit that a repetitive offense I don't, I don't think is is good for the success of teams or the success of the league, you know. But sometimes I go back and I try to watch like a game from two thousand two or a game from nineteen ninety seven, and besides the highlights, like it's brutal. Like it's slow, passes aren't yeah. crisp. There's not a lot of exactly. player movement going all over the floor. So this this era that Chuck is romanticizing isn't nearly as beautiful as like a lot of the stuff happening in the NBA today, where there are people out there who are surgical in their cutting, right? And penetrating the offense in cool ways and moving around on the outside and Someone who really appreciates, whose who's opinion we've probably waited too long to bring into this conversation. Someone who appreciates the modern style of play and recently came out dramatically in favor of it was another benefactor of the previous era to a certain degree, another NBA legend, Kevin Garnett. And I, I want to read another quote to you. When asked, what's your take on the current state of the NBA game? He said, the game is at another level, right? Uh, I want you to get on a court, sprint corner to corner, stop on a dime and shoot a three. I want you to do 10 of those. Then I want you to focus on how tired you are because these players do that for 48 minutes. I don't think guys from 20 years ago could play in this game. 20 years ago, guys use your hand, their hands to control players. Now you can't use your hands. That makes defense damn near impossible. Defensive players have to take away angles and stuff like that. But if you have any creativity and ambition, you can be a great offensive player in this game. He goes on to cite guys like Dirk and guards like Steph, 
Clay and Dame. He said, these players changed the game. I don't even know if the guards from 20 or 30 years ago could play in this time right here. It's creative. It's competitive. It's saucy. You'll get dropped. Right? He said, Kevin Garnett's take is that the game is in a safe space. The game is in a great place. Riley, what did, what did you first, uh, what was your first reaction when, when seeing that quote? Yeah. Um, it's so, it's so cool that we got these quotes within the last week and that we have a, a devil and an angel on our shoulders, I guess. And, and hearing, you know, KG's trademark enthusiasm, it made me feel a little, a little guilty for, for starting to, you know, side with the, the sour pants. Is that even a, a thing? I think that's a thing. Um, in Charles yeah, Barkley and, and the, the guy, the get off my lawn. Right. Um, and I, I do truly share a lot of, of KG's points. Um, you know, the, just the fact of, you know, modern training and modern dedication, right? Like, you know, we like to make jokes that, uh, Bill Russell is playing against plumbers and, and whatnot. Um, or that, you know, Wilt Chamberlain dominated because he was the only athlete really of that caliber in the league at that time. Um, but I, I do think that there is a little bit of truth behind the, the comedy there that, you know, like the, the players now, it's a global game for one. You're getting the talent from all over the world and people are, are so much more dedicated to their craft right now. And the, the skill level in the league is is astronomical, which is which is amazing to watch. And I, I, I genuinely, you know, we have this podcast and we talk about basketball because I think it's something that we both love and we, we love it because right now the, the individual players, you know, as, as, as KG sites, like those guys are fantastic and the talent coming out and, and the, you know, the future with, with guys like Tyrese Halliburton and LaMelo Ball, the two front runners, you know, they, they are unselfish in a lot of ways and they're creative. They have flair, they have style they have a lot of skill, you know? And so I think from, from that perspective, hell yeah, the game is in a, a fantastic place. Um, you know, I, and maybe, maybe to some degree, you know, these two esteemed gentlemen are, are talking about a little bit different, you know, sides of the sport, but I think KG is right. Like it takes a hell of a lot of ability and practice and, and body control and fitness and all this stuff to, to play in the modern league. And that should be celebrated too. So Maybe I'm just both sides in this, but but I think I think they're both they're both getting to something that I agree with to some degree. What about you? Yeah, to to avoid being the uh, the the trying to take both sides on the, on this and whatnot. Like I wasn't alive in the '80s and '90s basketball, right? I wasn't really cognizant of basketball for much of the 2000s, you know. The, the basketball that's played today is beautiful. You know, like the reason why I watch the game is because fun things happen throughout every minute. Even the chaos is kind of beautiful. You know, like I love uh, watching a guy like Marcus Smart or just sort of dive around the court. You know, I love I love when when scrappy guards like CJ McCollum just sort of go up for for 15, 20 points in a quarter. That that sort of stuff, like. And what the three-point has unlocked for all those people is beautiful basketball, right? And I don't love watching the Bucks play basketball. I don't necessarily love watching the Mavericks play basketball because they are trying to get this repeatable system down. 
like no matter what. And the Mavs are, are an, another great example of why this type of system doesn't work. The Bucks, when Giannis has been locked down or injured the past two postseasons, have gotten laughed off the floor. The Rockets famously missed 27 straight threes. Last year, the uh, Mavericks were second overall in the league in three-point attempts, and they were 10th in three-point percentage. That led to one of the best statistical offenses of all time. This year, they're 10th in attempts and dead last in three-point percentage. Okay, part of that is because Seth Curry's gone. Part of that is because Luca may not actually be a very good, very consistent outside shooter, which people weren't necessarily expecting. People were expecting growth from Luca, not regression from Luca. And just that that type of that type of shift will probably dissuade teams from dedicating themselves fully to the three-pointer. But the Lakers are de- very well dedicated to uh, the three-pointer. This year, they are uh, – actually, this year the Lakers are near the bottom in the league in three-point uh, attempts, right? They're not just chucking up three-pointers every game. But four or five times a game, they'll get the ball moving from LeBron – to AD, to Marcus Hall, back to LeBron, to Caruso in the corner, or to Kyle Kuzma in the corner, and they'll utilize those threes. They'll weaponize those threes to play a beautiful game. Yeah, and I, I think like the more that I think about this, um, it really comes back to the first thing that I try to talk about, right? And is it's not that the the game itself is bad. It's just that a lot of us really have to adjust to not being able to to know what's going to happen year even year in year out right like three point percentage for for players can can have variance um year in year out right and that's that's the part that maybe it's just you know we've got to all shift our mindset right and and stop being uh, you know tied to outcomes necessarily as the ultimate measure of you know what is successful and and what is working and what is what is good and strategically sound, right? And it's got to be much more about the process. What you're talking about, right? Is, is the ball movement? Is the understanding of the game? Are the little things, you know, to, to cite Draymond again? Like, are, are those? Yeah, yeah. And so I think, uh, you know, as as we talk about this more, I think I come. I'm starting to shift more towards the, you know, the game is in a good KG uh, kind of side of this argument. The game is in a good place, and I I think it's really it's just that for me the the sadness is that it feels like coaches and it feels like individuals don't have as much control over the sport that they play which is just a it's a very weird idea right it's like you know as much as an individual guy can like practice their threes you know they don't decide on one night whether they're hot or not and that's that's just a weird it's a weird thing and I, I also kind of I'm reflecting on what Greg Popovich said a couple of years ago which is he absolutely hates threes like if he could play the sport without the three point line, he completely would. He would he would remove it in a heartbeat because he thinks the essence of basketball and and the the core of the game is still really about like how do you maneuver players and the ball to get close to the basket or get the best possible shot that you can. And so, even with that being said, right, like his teams still take threes 
you know, then he's not eschewing um, this this weapon as you as you put it, um, because he he's intelligent and he understands that that's just how the game is played now. And I, I think it'll just be interesting to see, you know, does the league introduce a four point play or does the league try any tactics? And maybe this is something we can discuss in the future to to kind of balance everything a little bit because it's it is just truly weird when you really think about it, right? To think that the object of the game is now not just how close can you get to the basket and how can you stop people from doing that, but how far can you get from the basket behind this line, right? Like there's there's this pressure to run in the opposite direction because uh, you know of the statistical reward. Um, and I, I don't think it's a good thing or a bad thing. I guess it's just it's just weird when you really when you really examine it down at the, the fundamentals of of what that means. I don't were, know of any other sport that's like it. Yeah. If you were made in charge of redesigning the NBA rule book for next season, would you make a change to the three point line? I would. I would. Um, I've heard some really fascinating proposals. Um, one of which being that, you know, it's probably untenable. Uh, and this is just more like a thought exercise. But what if the three point line was different in every every arena the team got to set it just like a baseball outfield wouldn't that be utterly fascinating and you would say well okay the warriors have really really good shooters are they going to move the three-point line for the back so they still maintain that you know that, that advantage and then when you you get to uh, other other teams arenas let's say the Mavs, who are you know taking a lot of threes but not very good at them right now do they move the three-point line or uh, three-point line in do they do they want that reward from from easier shots and i think that would just be it'd be it wouldn't work right like there for so many reasons it would just be weird you would not be playing the same game which is uh kind of problematic but i think the the permutations and uh, the strategic and and, uh, and analytical things that we could talk about would just be overwhelming in such a positive way um and so i think that would be cool. I think the more realistic thing, um, which is also weird that I would, I would do if I was in charge next year would be to reduce the value of the three, make it worth two and a half or, or something, you know, where the, the balance is restored a little bit. Obviously that would be untenable because how do you have half points? But I think that's an interesting thing to think about and an interesting way that you could try and, you know, reach, reach a, a something that, that appeals to the old heads who, who yell about their lawns and also those of us who, who do appreciate up-tempo and, and pace and space and whatnot. How do those sound to you? Yeah, I, I think we really could put together an episode of like rule changes we'd love to see in the future. The quick argument for, or a quick argument for teams having control over their, their own lines is what we see in baseball, right? Every baseball stadium is different. And some stadiums like Coors Field, the, where the Colorado Rockies play, is notoriously hitter-friendly, where uh, players go there and have the best statistical seasons of their years, and pitchers never want to sign with the Rockies because they don't want their ERA to be way too high. And a place like Petco break. Park, right, where the Padres played a play up until a few years ago, with the wind tunnel they had in the outfield and the deep fences was absolutely a pitcher's park and no hitters wanted to go play there. Of course, Petco ended up moving the uh, fences in and now there's a uh, slam Diego renaissance happening, happening there. But 
It, it, Shout out so, to our listeners from San Diego. Yeah, it, it would. It, so the idea is exciting, but then you'd have to get into pe- people only design a baseball stadium for their city once every few decades, maybe. So you'd have to, you'd have to figure out a way to limit like how the NBA teams changed that because last year's Sixers, right? <laughs> yeah, they would have moved the three point line to the half court line because they weren't making any shots far away from the basket. But then this year's Sixers add Seth Curry, would they be able to move that line in? It'd be interesting. But that's interesting because I would almost I would I would flip it around the other way. Well, actually, I don't know if I would, but my first instinct was like, okay, well, if you have a bad shooting team, doesn't that mean you want to to move the line in? But I think you're right. I think they would just abolish it. They would they would send that line to Siberia, which which is just another fascinating concept to to think about and explore. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, going to be very interesting to see how the next five how basketball changes over the next five to ten years because. I agree with Kevin Garnett in that it's creative and competitive. You know, like 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 KG said, it's saucy, right? You <laughs> see some of the things yeah. that Kyrie Irving does on a basketball court, or Steph, or Dame, or even some of the things that a guy like Ben Simmons can do. You you have no choice but to watch them do the things they do and go, hot damn, you know, <laughs> hot damn. Yeah. And uh, Chuck can be upset about math, but the Mavericks are probably upset, pretty upset about math this season too, you know, and um, adjustments will have to be made for that team in order to unlock Luca and bring, bring about the, the best in that team. Sure. Now to, to tie this all back together, um, I, you know, I realized that my kind of position, it seemed like has shifted a lot in this podcast but I do want to agree with Chuck and Shaq one more time, which is why the hell did Porzingis not get his butt in the post or not even in the post, but, you know, use his size more uh, to an advantage. And maybe that's kind of like where we should, you know, take this for our last kind of little bit here, right? Is, is do you think that the, the focus on the three-pointer is causing other skills to be lost? And maybe, you know, that is an argument against it, right? Is that we're seeing less diversity, not in, in ball handling ability or, you know, not the creativity to get three pointers off, but maybe in, in uh, the practitioners of good floaters. And that's why basketball nerds go crazy for a Brandon Clark uh, in, in Memphis or, or, you know, John Morant with a really good floater or, or, or you know, post moves like Joel Embiid um, has been having a great season on the back of his ability to, to crush people in the low block. Um, but do you think, you know, for maybe the non-stars, like the role players, is there a, is there a loss of, of some, you know, ability to do things that used to be important to basketball? And is that, is that good or bad? Because they're focused so much on, on taking threes and now working on their sidestep threes or step back threes or, or whatnot, you know? Yeah. Um, to, to answer your question. Yes. Things, things are, things are going to get lost here. Uh, I'm currently scrolling through the, uh, cbssports.com website of the 2021 NBA draft big board, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Players who in this year's draft considered to be one of the better drafts that has been one of the better draft classes that's been around lately. The top yeah, a while, yeah. Yeah, the top big man is uh, 
Evan Mobley, seven-footer out of USC, who is widely praised for his ability to sort of stretch the floor and be an initiating seven-footer. And there isn't another center on this list until the 25th top guy. There's only one power forward, two power forwards in the top 30, right? So well, yeah, the, that position doesn't exist anymore. So that, 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 that position, that position doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. And Zach Rand, Zach Randolph who found a lot of success in this last decade. There isn't going to be a player like him for a very long time, you know? So there, there are skills that are going to be lost. And we see it with a team like the Grizzlies, who I am in love with the Grizzlies. I know that's the second time I've said that this po- hmm. podcast, but one thing they've been great at doing is finding bigs who have 21st century skills, not 20th century skills. And so that's the future, that, the, the future yeah. of this game. And there will always come along some guy like Joel Embiid, who is huge and has the ability to just destroy you. But I don't think even even though Embiid uh, is one of the better the, he's the best center in the league this side of Nikola Jokic you know and, I, was, I was about to say hold up wait a but, minute but Jokic is good not because he's a big powerful guy but because of his floater game and and passing skills so things are going to be lost and if you want to appreciate good post games and good post work like Go back and watch some clips of Hakeem Olajuwon or Kevin McHale and watch those dudes and their footwork down in the post and be amazed. But YouTube is going to be the place for that, even already is. Yeah, I think that's a really great, that's a really great take because it's a reminder that everything evolves, right? Like not just sports, everything, everything evolves. And and a lot of the time that that means innovation and that means new things we've never seen before. And that's just a a fact life that we all, um, uh, me especially included um, need to and, and Chuck and Shaq and, and everyone right like we all need to say you know it's not gonna this isn't trend is not gonna stop right so it's how do we how do we deal with it and how do we appreciate it um, better than we, we even currently are um, because because you're right like the 21st century is here and, and it's not going anywhere the 20th century is not coming back because somehow people back then did not realize three was more than two and somehow we all have now. And, and that, that fact is kind of in irreversible. I, you know, I, I was, I was thinking as you were talking that about like the dearth of bigs in this draft, right. That the, the basket is still 10 feet tall. Right. And I, so I think, you know, size still is a trump card. If you have two identical players, you take the one who's taller um, in terms of skill. But I, 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 it's just interesting that the game has been democratized I would say almost to the point of being a, a tyranny of the little person, you know, which is, it's not good or bad. It's just, just fascinating, right. That, that wings and guards and, and players who would not have been able to cut it when size and strength was everything, right. I have taken over and, and eliminated people who are slow and not, not able to do, like you said, some initiating or some, some judging the floor. And that's, that's, again, that's not good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. So I guess that's kind of where I come down on the state of the game, right? Like it, it's not, it's not a, a positive or negative. It is just constantly evolving and it's up to us to, to figure out how to appreciate it. And if we can't appreciate it, maybe we get off of the most famous, influential 
NBA analyst show and go practice our god-awful golf games. <laughs> Shot catching strays. I love it. I love it. Well, we could we could keep, you know, going back and forth on this and, and wishing and washing for another couple hours because I think, you know, there are always philosophical avenues to dive down and alleys to, to get lost in when, when Nolan and I start talking about big uh, metaphysical questions regarding basketball, but we don't want to, to drag this on too long. So I think that is a good place for us to pause this conversation until the next time. What say you, Nolan? I, I could talk basketball for hours of the day and we, uh, but we got to save it. We got to do it. This, yes. has been a, this has been wonderful. It's good to be back. It is very good to be back. Um, we are really excited about some of the next episodes that are coming up. You know, Nolan and I have got a collection of topics that we want to get into, and we're both really enthusiastic about, you know, what, what those mean and how relevant they are to, to the game and the deeper conversations that we, we like to have here. But if you have anything that you want us to talk about or, or uh, smaller topics that you think deserve some mention in the minutia minute or, or shoot around, please don't hesitate to reach out for us. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been the Hockey Assist Podcast, and you can look for our new episodes, our next run of episodes dropping every Wednesday morning on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, please don't hesitate to like, subscribe, and leave a review because it helps us out in, in just being able to, to reach a larger audience and, and potentially grow this little endeavor of ours. Uh, and if you do have feedback, you can also reach out either by leaving a comment on the podcast or hitting us up on Twitter at hockey underscore assist. We really, really hope you enjoy the show because it is a privilege for us to be able to to have these conversations with each other and share them with you and we cannot wait to bring you more so for nolan cope i am riley gaucher checking out of episode eight of the hockey assist have a great week